Space Odyssey, not the year. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's our neighbor. Hey, I brought back all your stuff I ever borrowed from you. All of it. Yeah, you know what? You just stay right there. I'll show it to you, all right? Remember this? That was fun, wasn't it? Thanks for that. I know I borrowed this to make them muffins, but it is fantastic at sifting through the cat litter. I'll get you a new one. <laughs> hey, is this your house key? You know what, I'll just let myself in. Stop! Hey, sermon's up there, mister. I'm trying to learn about my savior's birth. Resurrection. Whatever. Hey, you go to church? Why didn't you just invite me? Daddy, why didn't you invite Kevin to church? Oh, please, like you invited your neighbors to church. Hey, welcome. Glad y'all are here. Happy Easter. It's really not that difficult. Hey, can I keep your nunchucks? One way or another, we can invite people to church. There are good ways and bad ways to do it. So we've shown you how not to do it. Today we want to talk to you a little bit about how to work the gospel into conversations. I'm really excited about bringing uh, this message to you this morning for the primary reason that we are entering into the last couple of weeks of one of the most important time for us as a church and as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, most of the people in the, in the arena, the, the area, community in which we live, most people around us are, are usually have some sense of God consciousness, some sense of church awareness. It's not always true in other parts of the country, but at least here where we live, people understand the importance of church and Easter Sunday morning. But many of them don't attend a church frequently, and many of them gave up on church a long time ago, and it gives us a unique opportunity as we engage in the community to invite people to come on Easter Sunday morning and to worship with us and to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks to be looking for opportunities to engage in gospel conversations, not just about inviting people to church, but, but opportunities to share the gospel with someone. I want you to think about how many conversations you had this week. How many different conversations did you have? Likely many of you had conversations about Auburn's run to the Final Four and had opportunities to talk about either your excitement or your ambivalence to that fact, one or the other. But many of you probably had opportunities with friends and with co-workers to talk about that. Maybe you had opportunities this week in, in to, to have a side conversation about family or about politics or about a number of different things. But what we want to do is figure out how we can take the conversations that God provides for us, those divine appointments, those divine opportunities, and begin to use those as opportunities to share the gospel with people. And I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about what that looks like. The first text that I want to just draw your attention to, we're going to put it up on the screen for you, is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And in it, Peter gives instructions for us as Christians about how we are always to be prepared for gospel conversations, to be ready to engage in a conversation with somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see there that Peter is encouraging followers of Jesus Christ to always be prepared. If you're like me, I, I grew up going to Cub Scouts. Anybody go to Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts when you were young? Any of you guys? What, what was the Boy Scout motto? You remember? Be 
prepared. And that's what Peter is telling us here, that that we need to be prepared. And the reason why we need to be prepared is because if we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is going to give us opportunities to talk to people about who Jesus is. The question is not, does God want you to have gospel conversations? The question is, are you prepared to have gospel conversations with the people that God places in your path? And it doesn't always come out as simple as this, where someone comes up to you and says, hey, I've noticed that you seem to live with a lot of hope. And you see, it doesn't always happen quite that way. I wish it was that easy, but here's what Peter is assuming. Peter is assuming that if we are genuinely followers of Jesus Christ, that as the gospel transforms us on the inside, that it leaks out of our life in such a way that we live our life differently than people who don't have Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we live with a sense of hope. We live with a sense of purpose. We live with a sense of distinctiveness. And as we do that, people who don't know Jesus see that in us and they are, they're intrigued, they're confused. They, they don't really know why is it that, that you don't seem to be as cynical as other people that I know, that you don't seem to be as jaded as other people that I know, that you seem to live with a, with a sense of purpose or, or joy that, that other people don't have, and that through those interactions... And even through talking about everyday things such as sports or the weather or the neighborhood or whatever, that somewhere along the line, God's going to use something in their life to cross something in your life that's going to give you an opportunity to step in and start to talk to them about the gospel. And so this morning, we want to talk about a, an awkward word in the church, a word that, that we, we know if you've been a church person, if you've been attending church most of your life, you know this word, but even that, it's still a little awkward for most people. It's the word evangelism. When I say the word evangelism, what comes to mind? What, what images do you have? We're going to talk about sharing the gospel or sharing your personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been in the church for almost 30 years now, and I know well from being a church member and being a minister that anytime we mention the subject of evangelism, it stirs up a wealth of different emotions. For some people, you feel anxiety when you hear the word evangelism. When somebody starts talking about evangelism or sharing your faith in Christ, the thought of that scares you to death. It may be because you're an introverted person, and it may be because, let's just be real honest, When we talk about sharing the the gospel, we are dealing with eternal truths, life-transforming truths, and the gravity of that can be a little bit overwhelming. When we think about the fact that that I have an opportunity to to tell someone how to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to mess that up, and so for some of us, we get anxious, we get scared about even beginning that process. For some, you feel guilty whenever someone talks about evangelism because you know that sharing the gospel is being a part of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, but you rarely, if ever, have done that. You want to see people get saved. It's not that you don't have a desire to see people come to know Christ. It's not that you don't celebrate when you see people getting saved and giving evidence of that through the waters of baptism, but you feel guilty because you don't know how. For some, when we bring up the topic of evangelism, you feel indifference. You bought into the fact a long time ago that people not only need to be saved, but but that the job of sharing the gospel is someone else's job, not yours. That that's a job that's reserved for missionaries and pastors and people with the gift of evangelism. And you don't have the gift of evangelism. And so again, it's not that you don't want to see people get saved. It's just not your gift. And so you really don't think that God has called you to share the gospel. And for some, you feel excitement because you enjoy seeing people get saved and you enjoy talking to people about Christ. A 2012 study by Lifeway Research revealed that the vast majority of church members believe in the importance of sharing their faith in Christ, but very few actually do it. Of those surveyed who attended church at least once a month, 80% 
agreed with the statement that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith in Christ. Eight out of every ten people in this church today would say, yes, I understand that I have a personal responsibility to share my faith. And yet 61% of those who answered that way have not told another person how to become a Christian in the previous six months. As a matter of fact, that, that statistic is held pretty true that about 70% of the people who attend church never share their faith in the course of a 12-month time period. 20% of those surveyed rarely or never pray for the salvation of a lost person. 48% have not, uh, not invited a person to church in the last six months. And when Lifeway did this study and they, they identified eight marks of a maturing Christian, eight characteristics that, that are true of those who are maturing in their faith, the characteristic of sharing Christ had the lowest consistency among Protestant churchgoers. And so again, evangelism is one of those things that we in the church inherently know is important. And we know it's something that we as followers of Jesus should do, but the reality of it is, is that many of us don't do it. Why is that? It's not because the Bible doesn't tell us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, and so we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador of the gospel, and you're to speak of Jesus because you carry the, the kingdom of God with you. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So as My disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus said before he ascended to the Father, to those who were his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said that it's, it's the nature of those who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a sign-up sheet in the kingdom of God to sign up for evangelism. It comes with the nature of having the Holy Spirit within you because the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus Christ. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, you have something in you that's wanting to talk about Jesus. But my aim today is not to guilt you about sharing the gospel. My aim today is to encourage you and to empower you with a way that you can share the gospel in your everyday conversations. Before we get to gospel conversations in John chapter 4, I want to talk for a second about what evangelism is not. We talk about evangelism and, 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 and it's a big church word and because it's a big church word, a lot of times there's some things that we assume are evangelism that are not evangelism. For instance, number one, evangelism is not the same thing as imposing your religious beliefs on others. That's, that's the popular conception in our post-Christian world is that whenever you begin to talk about the Bible, whenever you begin to talk about God, whenever you begin to talk about matters of faith, that that's imposing your religious beliefs on someone else. That's not what we're talking about. Evangelism is not a matter of, of, of forcing someone to believe what you believe. It's a matter of introducing somebody to the good news, which is the power of God and to salvation. And it's also not the same thing as engaging in religious and public debate. And so when we talk about evangelism as a form of talking, we're not talking about, about talking to people and getting into political and religious debates. We're not imposing anything on anybody. We're just talking about Jesus. Evangelism is not the same thing as inviting people to church. Inviting people to church is important. We see that. We saw that in the video today. But just because you say to your neighbor, hey, I attend Central Park Baptist Church, here's a, here's a card about an Easter egg hunt we're having, and we'd love to have you come and visit with us on Sunday morning. Inviting somebody to church is not the same thing as sharing the gospel. That's something all of us should do with regularity is invite people to church. But I think we've, we've come into this idea over the years that 
evangelism is for the professionals like me who stand up in the pulpit. And so if I can just get them in the church and turn it over to the professionals, the professionals can do evangelism and they can do it a lot better than me. But here's the problem. Most people in our post-Christian world, they don't come here and see me as a, as a religious know-it-all. They, they see me as a used car salesman for Jesus. And most people come to faith in Jesus Christ not because of a sermon they heard on Sunday, but because of a conversation they had with a friend, a neighbor, or a loved one. Eighty percent of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ did so because of a conversation with a normal church member. Inviting people to church is important, but that's not the same thing as evangelism. Evangelism is not the same thing as guilting people over their need to change. Now, I see this happen sometimes, especially with people in our family. We have a family member or a loved one or a neighbor who's kind of gotten off track and they're, and they're not doing what they should. And so what we do is we say, you need to get your life right. You need to straighten up. You know what you need? You need to get in church. You need to get saved. Did anybody ever get saved from that kind of evangelistic presentation? You know what? You're a sorry dog. And if you don't get right with God, you're going you're gonna to have a, a world of trouble. Oh, well, I'm glad you told me that. How do I do that? It's not about guilting people over their need to change. And I've seen that. I've seen that in my own family. I've seen that in other people where most of the time when we have conversations with people, it's not about inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about guilting them over all the things they've done wrong in life. And the gospel never guilts people. Evangelism is not the same thing as a weekly visitation program. Most of us have grown up in church where we, we came to church every Monday night or Tuesday night and we were handed a stack of cards of people that had visited or people in the community or names that had been turned in and we were told to go out and do visitation and that's what we called evangelism. And so when you talk about evangelism, people said, yeah, that's what we do on Monday or Tuesday night. But evangelism is only something that's reserved as a program that happens for a select group of people. No wonder we're not seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Evangelism is not the same thing as a weekly visitation program. That's something that we should be doing, but it's not a program that we have in the church. Evangelism is a lifestyle. It's, it's part of who you are in Christ. That being said, evangelism is not the same thing as lifestyle witness. In other words, evangelism is not the same thing as just being a good person and going to church and, and saying your prayers and reading your Bible and, and, and I don't do these things and I do these things and I'm just going to live a life in front of my neighbors and my co-workers in such a way that, that maybe somehow some of the Holy Spirit by some spiritual form of osmosis will transform from, from my heart into their heart and, and I, I may never have to tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. They'll just see the quality of my life and they'll be so enamored with the quality of the goodness of my life that they will suddenly have an interest in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. Your lifestyle is important and we should live distinctively Christian lives, but evangelism is not the same thing as just being a good religious person in front of people. And evangelism is not the same thing as just sharing your testimony. And I'm not knocking sharing your testimony. I think your testimony is a powerful tool that God can use for evangelism. You've heard me share my testimony several times with you here as pastor. And I think your story is important, but it's not just enough to tell how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You need to attach your story with the truths of the gospel so that people see their need to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because a lot of people in our day and time can hear your story and say, that's great, that's awesome, I am glad for you, and never trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Evangelism, as Max Stiles says, is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Evangelism is simply teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now don't get caught up by the word teaching. That just means speaking, proclaiming, teaching, conversing about the gospel with the aim of persuading somebody to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what evangelism is. It's simply conversing with somebody about who Jesus is in such a way that you have a goal to persuade them that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that He alone is the Lord and Savior of the world. 
Now, when we talk about evangelism, one of the things I think, especially if you've been in the church a long time like me, one of the things that we get caught up on is that for many of us, we, we see evangelism as learning some long, canned, three-page presentation. When I was a brand new Christian, I was told that it was important for me to learn how to share my faith. I was told, 1 Peter 3.15, that I always need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within me. And I was eager for others to know about the truth that I had discovered, but I was also very shy and very introverted. I was, I was invisible in my school. I wasn't very popular. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And so conversation was difficult for me. Regular conversation was, was difficult, much less spiritual conversation about eternal realities. And I wanted to be obedient to God. I wanted to see people get saved. And so I tried to learn how to do that. I went to classes that my church offered where I memorized evangelism plans. When I was in seminary, we were required to take a class on evangelism and memorize a program called CWT. And we were required to go out in groups of seminary students once a week into the city of New Orleans to share the gospel with people and to come back and to report on those conversations. I was trained in faith evangelism at a church in which I served in Birmingham where we went out every single week and we visited people in the community and we shared with them the faith presentation. And yet I will tell you that even though I've been trained in multiple different evangelistic methods, it didn't make it easier to share the gospel. I knew a lot of presentations of the gospel. The problem was I just didn't share them because I was thinking about evangelism as something I did on Tuesday night when I showed up for the program. Most of the time, the reason why we feel so much tension and so much anxiety over sharing the gospel is because we've been told that that is a, a class or a presentation with an exhaustive list of points and scriptures to memorize designed to answer every single question. And many of us gave up memorization a long time ago when we got out of high school and we don't want to memorize anything else. And it's amazing because we have had dozens of evangelistic tools in my lifetime, and yet we continue to have less and less evangelism. It's not that we don't have the right tools for sharing the gospel. Those things are very good and very effective. But the problem is, is that we in the church have made evangelism too complicated by turning it into a program and a class and a presentation instead of making evangelism a natural part of the rhythm of our lives. I put this in your notes. The key to sharing your faith is not to think about evangelism or sharing the gospel as a presentation, but to think about it as a conversation. Don't focus so much on having the right presentation and knowing all the right answers and well, what if they ask me a question about some obscure Bible truth that I can't answer. Don't, don't think about memorizing a presentation. Just think about having a gospel conversation and allow the Holy Spirit to work with you through that conversation. And don't feel the need that you have to share everything about Christ in one conversation. It took my dad 30 years to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that was multiple men praying for him and multiple conversations that people had with my dad. Some good and some bad. But eventually, he came to faith in Christ. I believe the reason most of us seldom, if ever, engage in gospel conversations is not because we do not believe that people without Christ are lost. It's not because we don't care about people's eternal salvation. It's not because we do not believe in the power of the gospel. I believe that most of us don't share the gospel because we don't know how and because we lack confidence in our ability. We lack a doable plan for gospel conversations and confidence in our ability to deliver eternal truth. That's what was wrong with me for many years. But if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the answer to both of those challenges. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you into how to have gospel conversations and will tell you what to say. And the Holy Spirit will overcome your fear and your lack of confidence because He will remind you that it's His job to bring about spiritual transformation in someone else and not yours. Your job is not to get them to the point of decision. Your job is to share the gospel and leave the rest of the Holy Spirit. We see many examples of gospel conversations throughout Scripture. Paul in Acts chapter 16, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, and even Jesus. Jesus had gospel conversations on the road to Emmaus with Nicodemus, with the rich young ruler. 
And with a young lady by a well in Samaria in John chapter 4, which is the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, hopefully you've been able to turn to John chapter 4 already. I want to read this story to you. We're not going to stand up this morning because we're just going to read this story about this gospel conversation. And when I talk about this, when I talk about Jesus sharing a gospel conversation, the natural reaction that some of us will have is that was easy for Jesus because he was the Son of God. It must have been really easy for Jesus to have gospel conversations because he's Jesus and I'm not. But before we get there, we need to understand that while he was the Son of God, he also knew how to engage in everyday conversations with others. Jesus did not go into every encounter by saying, Hi, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're a terrible sinner that needs to repent of your sin and trust in me. Instead, he began with people where they are and he showed them their need for salvation. In John chapter 4, we read this story. I want to read it to you and I want to give you just a few quick observations. The Bible says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. This is a divine appointment. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar and near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. This would have been noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We'll go a little bit further in just a second, but I want to share with you six observations I saw this morning on this conversation that help us as we begin to engage in gospel conversations. The first of those is this, that Jesus genuinely saw this woman as a person with a spiritual need. He saw her as a person with a spiritual need. The Bible just tells us that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. But buried in that statement is a complex personal story. Buried in that one statement is a story that we begin to unpack in the rest of this conversation. And while Jesus understood this woman's story, it moved him to compassion. This woman's story is a reminder to us that everyone has a story of brokenness. Everybody has a story of brokenness. Everybody in here has a story of brokenness. We're going to talk about that in just a second. This woman's story was one of brokenness, and Jesus knew that when he encountered her. And when he saw her, he didn't just see her as a woman coming to a well to draw water. He didn't just see her physically. He saw her spiritually. To begin with, she was a woman with a sordid background. 
The fact that she came to the well at noon shows us that she was trying to avoid contact with people. She had probably spent a lifetime avoiding others because all she had ever received from others were criticism and judgment. And later on in the conversation with Jesus, we will learn that she has been married five times and is presently living with a man that she was not married to. Her story was one of continually being used by men for their personal convenience and then discarded. She was a woman who lived in shame, in guilt, and in brokenness, and yet Jesus saw past her shame and brokenness because he knew that her public brokenness was a product of something that was broken inside of her spiritually. You see, when Jesus looks at people, he doesn't just see our humanity, he sees us spiritually. And Jesus understands that life doesn't begin from the outside in, life begins from the inside out. And so when you see people, what do you see? What do you see when you see the people around you, when you see your neighbors? When you look out in your neighborhood and you see your neighbors, do you just see a group of people who happen to live across the street from you? Someone decided to change jobs and so they got a job change, they moved into the neighborhood and they just happened to move across the street from you. Do you see their houses? Do you see their stuff? Do you see weird people with quirky personal habits? Probably. Or when you see your neighbors, do you see people with an eternal soul whom the sovereign God in heaven has sovereignly put in your path to show and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ? We talk all the time about how we believe that our God is a sovereign God, that there are no accidents with God, that nothing happens by happenstance. And if that's true, then that also goes to where you live and who lives around you. What about the person who works in the office next to you? Do you just see someone who is climbing the ladder of success? Do you see a competitor that you have to beat out? Or do you see a person with an eternal soul whom God has placed next to you so that he or she can hear the life-transforming truth of the gospel. You see, the disciples in a few minutes in the story, when they come back in, they see the woman, but all they see when they see the woman is a Samaritan woman. And Jesus goes right into that conversation and says to them, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus was reminding his disciples that they were conditioned only to see people externally, but God sees people spiritually. So consequently, they saw Samaritans, people who were not like them, and yet God saw an entire community of lost people who needed to hear the truth of the gospel. Jesus genuinely saw her as a person with a spiritual need, but secondly, he began the conversation on common ground. After an awkward exchange of glasses, uh, glances with the woman, he just simply begins the conversation about water. Give me some water. He started the conversation with the reason that both of them were there. They were there at the well because they were thirsty and they needed water. Jesus didn't say, hello, I'm Jesus the Christ and I have come to this world to inaugurate the kingdom of God and save sinners. And you, by the way, are a terribly, terribly sinful woman who needs to believe in me. He didn't start the conversation that way. He took something in her life that was common and then he begins to use it to point her to a greater spiritual truth. And this is where gospel conversations begin, not with conversations about religion, not with conversations about the Bible, but with conversations on common ground. Do not start a gospel conversation by saying something like, I've noticed that you don't go to church. Don't you believe in God? Don't you want to go to heaven when you die? That's a terrible way to start a gospel conversation. Instead, this woman, this Jesus starts the conversation with this woman by talking to her about something that they had in common, water. Now her reaction was that she began to talk about cultural obstacles. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And yet cultural expectations don't stop Jesus from sharing the gospel and it shouldn't stop us as well. 
She immediately says, you're breaking all the rules. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You shouldn't be talking to me in this place because that's culturally unacceptable. And we live in a world and in a time where there are all sorts of cultural obstacles about what is acceptable to talk about and what is not. But it doesn't matter what the culture says. That never takes away from our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel. Jesus didn't allow cultural obstacles to stop him, and we shouldn't either. Good gospel conversations start by speaking other people's language. It starts with talking about family, talking about current events, talking about personal goals and expectations. And the reality of it is is that lost people in our world need to see that the followers of Jesus are not just a group of weird, unrelatable religious people, but everyday people with the same everyday needs that they have. Thirdly, he introduced spiritual truth gradually. He doesn't just begin to to come right out and talk about religion. He does so by taking that common need of water and connecting it to spiritual truth. He says, you know what, we're both here to draw physical water from this well, but there's another kind of water. It's a living water. It's a type of water that doesn't just provide temporary relief, but a water that satisfies for eternity. What Jesus does here is a masterful exhibition in artful conversation because he didn't just get weird all of a sudden talking about religion. He said something to her that intrigued her in such a way that she didn't see Jesus' response as something weird. Instead, she asked him questions about for more information. And sometimes we get in such a hurry to get to the gospel so fast that we start shoving spiritual expectations to people before they are hungry and thirsty for them. Sometimes we get so eager to to have a gospel conversation and we get so eager to start talking about getting saved and praying a prayer that we scare people off when instead maybe all we need to do is just begin to introduce spiritual truth gradually. Maybe the best way to have a gospel conversation with your neighbors not to have a, a, a really long conversation in the front yard but to invite them in the house for dinner and begin to talk to them about where they are, where they came from, what their background was. Talk to them about your background and share just a little bit with them and make an appointment to have dinner the next week to talk further about it. Maybe when someone starts to speak to you about their brokenness, you can start off not by trying to give them a bunch of pad religious answers, but pointing them to examples of brokenness in your own life. Like the time that your mom and dad divorced, or the time that you lost your job and wondered what was next. Or the time that you got the negative report from the doctor. Or the time that your kid blew it. And maybe as you begin to talk about stories of brokenness in your own life, you begin to introduce spiritual truth gradually. Which brings us to the next point. Jesus looked for ways to connect her personal felt needs with her greater spiritual need. As the conversation moved forward, Jesus begins to connect the fragments of her broken life with a greater spiritual need. And he uses her thirst for living water to show her that real life isn't met with physical stuff, but with eternal truth. He connects her relational mess with her spiritual need for love and acceptance. He says, go and get your husband and bring him back because Jesus instinctively knows what's going on inside this woman's life, why she's coming to the well at noon. She was a woman who had spent a lifetime looking for real love, relational security, and full acceptance. And Jesus knows that those things are not found solely in physical relationships, but they are eternal needs. And in just a few minutes of real conversation, she found that everything she was looking for previously from other men was to be found in the Son of God. That He was someone who loved her for her sake, not His. And that He accepted her when others scorned her. And that He gave her security and not fear and anxiety. A good gospel conversation connects people's felt needs for love, acceptance, respect, significance, and security with eternal spiritual truths. When people begin to engage with us and they begin to share stories of their brokenness, what we see there is people who need love, people who need significance, people who need security. And we say, you know what, I know what that was like. I remember what it was like to feel that way. And let me tell you that I didn't find that love and that respect and that significance in in a relationship. I didn't find it in a job promotion. I didn't find it in having more stuff. I found it in the person of Jesus Christ. As we engage in conversations with others, And they begin to open up about their needs. Don't just hear their brokenness and offer them empty religious advice. 
When someone begins to share with you about brokenness in their life, don't just tell them things will get better if you have faith. Instead, connect their personal felt needs with greater spiritual truth. Next, he kept the discussion focused on the gospel and not on religious debate. Immediately when he begins to introduce the subject of living water and he begins to talk about who he is, she says, I see that you're a prophet. And she immediately wants to get into a religious dialogue. Well, your people say we worship here. My people say we worship here. And, and we don't agree on that. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? There's coming a time when nobody's going to worry about where you're going to worship. You're only going to worry about who you're worshiping. And Jesus doesn't get into the Jewish Samaritan religious debate. He doesn't get sidetracked into issues of religion and politics. Instead, he, can, he, he keeps her connected on who he is and what the gospel is. And oftentimes people will try to substitute religious stuff in a gospel conversation to shift the focus away from their spiritual need. They want to prove that they are religious. They want to show that they're a good person. They want to acknowledge their belief in God. Sometimes when we're having a gospel conversation, we begin to talk to people about who Christ is. They'll say, well, well, I don't need to worry about all that because I walked an aisle and got baptized when I was five years old. And we go, oh, great, so you're a Christian. Walking an aisle and getting baptized does not prove anything. I, I believe in God. I pray all the time. James said even the demons believe in God. But people want to start substituting religious jargon into the conversation to try to shift away from the reality of their need for the gospel. Keep the conversation focused on people's spiritual need and that Christ has the answer. And then finally, Jesus offered her an invitation to trust in Him. This is what gospel conversations do. They, they culminate with an invitation to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Not to trust in religion, not to trust in a, in, a, in, a, in a decision that you made, but to trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as Savior. The Bible says that when Jesus said, I who speak to you am He, He is revealing to her that the very person that she's been looking for is right there in front of her. He invited her into a relationship with Him. He didn't just throw out empty jargon like trust Jesus. He didn't just say let go and let God. He invited her into a personal relationship with himself. And ultimately salvation is not about giving people religious answers to their problems. Evangelism is not about helping people put a church band-aid on deep spiritual needs. Evangelism is not about helping people to live better moral lives as lost people. Evangelism is about introducing people to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and inviting them into a personal relationship with Him. That's all evangelism is. And so I want to give you a conversation tool today that I have found extremely helpful in the last couple of years to help walk people through gospel conversations. It's a, one of the easiest and most effective evangelistic tools I've ever found because it doesn't just inundate people with religious jargon. Instead, it, it walks with people through their spiritual need by pointing them to brokenness, something that all of us can relate to. And so you received a, a Three Circles Life Conversation Guide when you came in this morning. I want to introduce you to the Three Circles Gospel Presentation. So let's say that you're having a conversation with somebody, your friend, neighbor, co-worker, you're at lunch, and you begin to ask something like, well, how are things going? Well, eh, things are going okay. I've been having a lot of problems at home lately with my wife. Or I've been having a lot of issues lately on the job. I just, I just felt discouraged. I, I just don't know what's going on. So, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I just feel like I, I don't have what it takes. You know, I, I feel like my wife and I, we're getting in, in fights all the time. We're fighting more than, than, than we're getting along. And and, and, you know, I just don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's all worth it. I, I, I wonder if we just need to check out and go our separate ways. You say, you know what, I understand that. My wife and I, my husband and I, we fight a lot too. You fight a lot? Yeah, we fight a lot, you know. And here's what I've discovered. What I've discovered is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is full of brokenness. That as you look around us and you see the world around us, that things don't work like, they, like they're supposed to. Marriages are broken. Political systems are broken. Seems like everywhere you look, everything is broken, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Let me tell you what God has taught me recently. And you can take a napkin and you can begin to draw a circle or you can use this tool. There's even a phone app we're going to show you in just a second. 
You see, the Bible tells us that God is a perfect creator and that God has a perfect design for everything. And you draw a circle, and in that circle you write God's design. The Bible tells us that God is a perfect creator who has a perfect design for everything. God has a design for our families. God has a design for our work life. God has a design for our, our personal life. God has a design for our marriages. But the Bible tells us that you and I have a tendency to depart from God's design. We have a tendency not to follow God's pattern for our lives. The Bible calls us sinners. And, and because we are sinners, we depart from God's perfect design to go our own way. And anytime we depart from God's perfect design, the Bible calls that sin. Sin means to miss the mark. It means to, it means to not, do, not to follow God's design for your marriage or your personal life or whatever. And so sin is not just some big, deep word. It just means simply to depart from what God wants for you. And all of us can understand that. I've done that many times. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that every person has departed from God's design. And here's the problem with that, that whenever we depart from God's design, anytime we do that, that leads to brokenness. And then you draw a circle with the word brokenness in us. Anytime we depart from God's design, the inevitable result is brokenness. Things don't work like they're supposed to. And we all understand that we instinctively feel brokenness in our lives. You feel it and I feel it. Now, what do we do at that particular point in time? What do we do when we come to the realization that things aren't working the way they're supposed to? Well, what we naturally do is we try to find ways out of brokenness on our own. And so that's what these squiggly lines represent. And so we might try to find a way out of our brokenness by saying, you know what I need? I need a better relationship. So we trade in our spouse for another relationship only to find that finding another relationship doesn't heal the brokenness inside of you. As a matter of fact, if you lived around this world long enough, you're going to discover that broken people can't fix broken people. You say sometimes people decide to get out of their brokenness by pursuing stuff. They think if I just had a better job, more stuff, bigger house. But the problem is that more stuff doesn't fix your brokenness. It just leaves you more broken with more stuff. Sometimes people try to escape brokenness through substances. They think if I could just take this drink, if I could just take this pill, if I could just take this, it'll ease the pain and it'll fix the brokenness. But it doesn't fix it. And the real reality is, as I said a second ago, broken people, broken stuff, broken things can't fix broken people. But the good news is that God has an answer. And the answer is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you draw a circle that shows the gospel. The Bible tells us that God understands our brokenness. And he knows that the only way that we can be healed, the only way that we can have that fixed is through his son. And so the Bible tells us that because we have sinned and departed from his design, that we stand as objects of his wrath, that we deserve to die a death and live in eternity apart from him. And that we cannot earn his, his favor and his righteousness by our good works because no matter how many good things we do, we can't fix the broken stuff inside of us. So the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus, His Son, to this world to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. That He came and lived a life of complete and perfect obedience to God and that He went to the cross to die for our sins in our place. And that when He went to the cross, He bore our sins, our shame, our sorrow, and our brokenness on the cross. The story doesn't end there, though. The Bible tells us that He was buried in a tomb and three days later He rose again to prove that he was the son of God and that he was the victor over sin, death, and the grave. That's good news, isn't it? And they'd say, yeah, that is good news. And so the Bible says that, that Jesus Christ has done everything that you needed to do to be made right with God. He did all that on your behalf. So what do you do with that? Well, the Bible says in order to, to receive the gospel, we have to repent of our sins and we have to believe the gospel. And so you draw an arrow that says repent and believe. What is repent? Repent means that you turn away from your sin. You turn away from living life according to your terms. And you trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you. The word believe doesn't just mean that you believe the facts that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. But you believe it in your heart. You believe it with all of your soul. And that you can, you can believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again so that you could have new and eternal life. And if you will repent of your sins and believe the gospel, then the Bible tells us that you can recover and pursue God's design in your life. And so you draw another arrow with the words recover and pursue. That as we come to believe the gospel, that the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to recover God's design in our marriage. 
that it helps us to recover God's design in our workplace, that it helps us to recover God's design in our personal lives and to pursue God's best in our life. You see, Christian people aren't perfect people. They're just people that have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have believed it with their heart. And because of that, they're pursuing God's design now. And they don't do everything perfectly, but they're doing things better than they did when they didn't know Christ. And then God sends us as agents of the gospel back out into the world of sin and brokenness to share the gospel. You say to somebody, does that make sense to you? You say, yeah, it does. Okay. And then you say, well, where are you on this? Obviously, you're a person of brokenness, but have you ever repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever had a time in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior? And they say, no, I haven't. We say, would you like to? Yeah, I would. And then you just lead them through a simple prayer of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do that using a pen and a napkin in a restaurant. You can do that using a gospel tool very similar to this. It's walking through step by step by step. There's also an app that you can do that you can download on your phone or on your iPad. The North American Mission Board has put this into the format that you can even use this on your phone and you can walk somebody through it by swiping it. But you can use this simple evangelism tool in about three minutes and you can share with anybody the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this tool. I've used it several times with several people to help them to understand what, who Jesus is and what Christ has done for them. And so we want you to take these life conversation guides with you. Take one, put it in your, put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it in your, in your desk at your office. There are multiple copies available out in the foyer. You can take several of them with you. And, and pray this week for God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. That's a prayer that I have discovered that God answers almost every time. That if you will genuinely pray, God, if you will give me an opportunity to share this message with somebody this week, and then you'll begin to look for stories of brokenness in people's lives. And you'll begin to say, you know what? This is something I learned at church this week. You got a couple of minutes I can share this with you? And God will give you an opportunity to share him with others. Now maybe for some of us in here today, we can't go out and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the reality is, is that we've never trusted in that news. We've, we've been religious people. We, we were told maybe years ago that we needed to get right and get religious. And so we started going to church and we started learning all the religious jargon and we started checking all the religious boxes. But the reality of it is, is that we're still broken people living broken lives. And we've never really repented of our sins and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're not recovering and pursuing God's design. We're just broken people with religious masks. Maybe today you need to set aside that mask and you need to come and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Do what we saw these young ladies this morning do to give personal faith and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in just a moment, we're going to offer an opportunity, an invitation for you to receive the Lord Jesus this morning. If you're here today and you walked in here a broken person with, with no real answers to the brokenness in your life, but today you've discovered that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, but offers you the promise of eternal life. And you want to trust in that. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. So in just a moment as we sing, if you want to come and see me and say, Pastor Matt, I just need to give my life to Christ. We have people here that can walk you through that conversation. Maybe you're a little afraid about walking down an aisle in front of a bunch of people you don't know. That's fine. We have people here today. If you'll see me, if you'll see some of our staff, we will talk to you today before you leave, but do not leave this place today if you do not know that you know that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news. The good news that is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, and yet I know that in this place today there are people that came in here that didn't quite believe that news. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would impart it into their hearts that you would give them the faith to believe and the courage to respond. And God, for the rest of us in here, help us to not only believe that the good news is the gospel of the power of the gospel to salvation for everyone who believes, but, but God, help us to, to live our lives in such a way that we engage in gospel conversations with the people in our world. So give us opportunities this week to share Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?